You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the business and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Heather Lewis, AIA NCARB of Animal Arts Architecture Firm, talks about vet facilities for 2023. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Care Credit. Heather joined Animal Arts more than 20 years ago and became a principal in 2004. She's highly experienced and extremely versatile in every aspect of animal care architecture, having designed numerous award-winning veterinary hospitals, animal shelters, and assistance dog facility projects. She's a member of the Fear-Free Advisory Board and an author of the Fear-Free Standards for Veterinary Hospital Design. Heather also leads the building and facility working groups for human animal support services. She has dedicated her career to creating environments that bring people and animals together. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. I'm so happy to be here, Kim. Thank you. Well, we are happy to have you back. We spoke to Heather in a podcast earlier this year about supply chains and building. And I highly recommend that if if this podcast gets your juices cranking, you might want to go back and listen to that one and just see why it might or might not be a great time for a veterinarian to, to be building. But today we want to get her viewpoint on what facilities equine veterinarians are building now or might want to consider building and and why. So Heather, what are you seeing in the market? What are equine veterinarians into building or renovating this year? Yes, that's a great question. And of course, it's going to depend on the practice and the location of that practice and what's happening right there with that particular practice. But that said, some of the trends I'm seeing are uh, looking at ways to attract and retain veterinarians as kind of one driver, and secondly, adding additional money-making services or figuring out how to do things more efficiently to make more money, because those are kind of the two major drivers that are going on in the equine business right now. One is, you know, a shortage of veterinarians, particularly equine veterinarians, and secondly is the uh, the concern about being more efficient. So veterinarians on the equine side of the market tend to make less money and have kind of a harder life, you know, with more hours on the road. Uh, Facilities can help with that, actually. They can help with efficiency. They can help with money making. And so a facility is always a tool. And so these are the toolkits that we're looking at, you know, how people are using is that uh, the money making, the efficiency and the retention of staff. So around those two trends, there's some quite a few things that I'm seeing, if you'd like me to expand on that. I would love to know what you're what you're seeing out in the market. Yes. So so one of the things that I am seeing is um, the addition of new services. So you might see a practice that has a great haul in, you know, clinic, but they can't do much in the way of medical services or diagnostic services. So we're seeing trends around 
people adding additional services. What's neat about that is that, you know, of course, sometimes those are expensive spaces, so we can talk about that. But what's neat about that is it it does tend to, you know, give you veterinarians the tools to then have um, be able to provide more to their clients, make more money, and then also really make a much more engaging sp space for a new veterinarian to come on board and want to work there. Um, so a great example is there's a huge emphasis right now on adding equine CT. And I realize that CT is not going to be within the realm of possibility for a vast number of practices. So I'm just going to use it as an example. You can add a much more simple service than that. But what's, you know, what we're seeing is an example like the Etoine CT, people will add this service and then they have um, this incredible diagnostic ability that they didn't have before. So they can really guide care better for the patient. And then they also have this really cool space <laughs> that, you know, new veterinarians or existing one veterinarians want to work in that space because they can provide better medicine. They can provide better care um, and they can, um, you know, make their lives more interesting by working at this practice that has such superior services that they can offer. So really looking at that one service that you're missing is one of the things that we're seeing. Of course, CT one of them, but that's expensive. It could be something very, very simple. It could be, you know, this this practice is primarily ambulatory, and we go instead to providing just a few more services in house, well, reproductive services or um, more Holland services for complicated dentals or whatever it may be. Things that are hard to do on the road um, could be provided at the practice. And so we're having veterinarians really examining what is that thing that they're missing that we really can't do well and, and planning around that. One other thing, Kim, that I was thinking of, um, and this is something that you and I spoke about several years ago, which is the <laughs> big picture adding diversity of services. And what do I mean by that? Well, many veterinarians, equine veterinarians are actually adding small animal service, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I find interesting about this and really fun and sometimes hilarious is that equine veterinarians love what they do. And they went into equine medicine for a reason. And sometimes they know very little about small animal practice, right? And so... You know, the first topic we have is, you know, that this is a miniature scale hospital because they're used to really large spaces and and we shrink everything down into this tiny little package. But uh, small animal medicine um, tends to make more money than equine medicine. And especially when you look at it as kind of a per square foot money maker. So you can have this small package where you can get a lot of revenue out of that space and um, there are shortages of small animal veterinarians as well as equine veterinarians so that can be one of the ways that equine practices can diversify and I have been working with several recently who have been doing that. Well that's very interesting I'm, 
And honestly, we have to say, Heather, we, how many horse people do you know that don't have dogs and cats? I mean, that's <laughs> just kind of how it is. You get to the you get to the farm and, and they're all over the place, though. And our surveys have shown the same thing. It's it's in the upper 70 percent of the horse owners we've surveyed that have dogs and in the upper 60 percent that have cats. And I have a feeling some of those people aren't counting the barn cats because I don't know any <laughs> barns that don't have barn cats. <laughs> For sure. So. We're we're talking about a couple of things here. So I want to go back and, and just kind of pick out a couple of these. Let's say you're an ambulatory vet and you are, are really busy, but you're on the road. You, you're not seeing those hours used well. And that's one thing that the business side of practice is saying, you know, if you can reduce the amount of time you're on the road and increase the amount of time that you're actually attending patients, that your profitability increases. So what about hauling clinics? Are you seeing ambulatory vets having a piece of property where they are doing some haul-in services now? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the easiest ways to start into this journey. And veterinary hospitals are still the way, or owning your own practice and then building a facility is still the way to eventually make good money. So going back to that sort of business side of why we would even do this, your facility is a tool and, and let's use that tool the most effectively that we can. So having a space can then um, allow you to hire additional veterinarians. So you can still keep the ambulatory going, but then you have this, again, diversification of services that really helps with the business side of it. So then you can also have the haul-in space. It allows you to also decide to um, provide some you know, relief to veterinarians who are driving their trucks around every single day, all day, you know, that they can work um, on the ambulatory side some days of the week and they can work in-house some days of the week, which makes the burden um, less for those people. So, you know, of course, relying on horse owners to bring their horse to you has its own set of challenges. <laughs> you have to have a place for them. Um, the Holland practice probably, you know, it's going to cost something to build, of course, and then you have to have a place for clients and you have to rely on clients. And um, that has its own set of challenges because loading horses into trailers and bringing them can be complex. So I think it's still a good idea for practices to have diverse ways of making money um, on the road and at home and looking at the ratio of those as they set up this haul-in so that they can figure out what's working best for them and, and expand on that. But haul-in faces can be like so simple to Right, build. that's what I was going to ask. Because it, this doesn't, we're not talking you have to build, you know, a, a 5,000 square foot structure. This is, this can be simple. It can be. And a lot of times people use very simple structures for this. So pre-engineered buildings, for example, make perfectly fine haul-in practices. You can use those. You can build them out of pole barns. I prefer to do something a little more durable, like a metal, pre-engineered metal building. Um, and, you know, I think the one caveat is if you ever think you're going to add surgical services sometimes building a lightweight building is tricky because you can't it's not robust enough to hold up the infrastructure you need for something like that um however i think that 
you can do really, really simple buildings for hauling practice. And then you just have the roof overhead. You can even build a big, bigger building than you want to use immediately and fit out parts of it over time. So these pre-engineered buildings, the frame is pretty inexpensive. It's the fit out that costs money. So you can fit it out over time, uh, which is really great. When you say fit it out, what what are you seeing veterinarians doing? If if I'm a veterinarian and I've just been ambulatory and I've got clients I know that would be willing to haul in. I'm going to have dentals. I'm going to have whatever I'm going to do, just minor lacerations, emergency care. What are you seeing them doing with these buildings and what what are the how are they using them? Right. So you start with a big open space and having your clients come and be under a roof is a great step in the right direction. <laughs> but it's probably not enough. Um, and so what is what is involved in a fit out? I think the steps are finding a space where you can work with more than one horse at a time is key. And so that involves reducing the stress for that horse. So the fear of, you know, other things going on in the space. Uh, horses are hard to handle if they're fearful. So finding a, a way to sort of make the space calm, which might mean carving and carving it up a little bit so that you have one area that's for exam and one area that's for dentistry. And the dentist areas area is um is carved off from the exam area so that the horse isn't coming in and seeing something weird happening over there in the corner. Um, so also that helps with privacy between the clients and, um, you know, not going, knowing what's going on with Mrs. Smith's horse over there. So right. being able to carve up the space, space a little bit to provide that privacy is really key. And um, so that's kind of some of what we see with the fit outs. Um, it's starting then to go beyond that, to add those services and that technology, which is going to differentiate you and help you retain veterinarians. So a great example is adding a surgical facility, which might not be day one, but it could be down the road. And you simply can't have a surgeon without a surgical facility. It's as simple as that. So perhaps there's a master plan to add that at some point. So, and that's a quite a complex facility. Um, so planning ahead a little bit to add that at some point is key. And that's going to be separate from the other areas and it's going to have its own requirements like its own HVAC and its uh, hoist beam and all this other things that are more complicated. Um, also with fit outs, you see just the taking care of clients and the client service part of it. And what does that mean? That means getting them out of the way. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we all love, I mean, I'm a client, but, um, we all love clients, but we don't need them to be underfoot. And so right. having a little client lounge, a client restroom, and then of course you start developing other needs such as lab and pharmacy. And inventory control is huge with equine veterinarians. That's probably one of the biggest benefits of having this Holland service is having less of a free for all with your, <laughs> um, your supplies that are going on the road or being used right here at the practice. So being having an enclosed pharmacy, um, a laboratory where you can do all the work you need to do, um, having a place to stock trucks, 
And then, you know, this client lounge, restroom, of course, they could go out laundry room, you know, so those are the kind of simple fit out things we see. And you can just start with that open space. That's totally fine. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Um, But this kind of segues, Kim, into a main point that I have, which is that um, equine veterinarians have a tendency to let their business facilities, supporting their business, grow organically. That's not always a good thing. (laughs) Um, We have a hard time taking the time to slow down and master plan something. And that is the key to success you may not be able to afford that surgical facility in the, right now. But if you're ever going to build it, it sure would be nice to know what part of the building is going to be used for that, how big it is, and to make sure the infrastructure's in, like the power you might need, or you know the, the structural ability to add a hoist beam later. So we see that fallacy with hospitals all the time is that they've painted themselves into a corner (laughs) with the size of the building or the layout of the building and it's therefore harder to add that thing or they have to add an addition. So I definitely recommend um, taking a minute to stop and spend some time on master planning, perhaps with an architect who can lay out the space. Um, and so you know what's going to go where in the future, even if you can't afford it right at the moment. And not all renovations and, and construction have to do with buildings. I know we've, you and I have just talked about having like outdoor exam areas that are safer and better and the right kind of footing that whether they're covered or not covered can be a big help, especially if you're doing lameness exams with your haul-ins. Absolutely. So going to the master planning, that starts from the site design. And the site design is essential. Equine veterinary hospitals are much more complicated than small animal medicine um, facilities when you consider the sites that they're on. And... It's all about safety. So looking at how to lay out the site so you have a separation of equine flow, client flow, vehicular circulation, and you know safe places to walk, um, safe places to unload a horse. So again, you may not design the entire, you may not build the whole thing right now, but you need to know how the roads are gonna be laid out. Uh, Right now, you might just have a free-for-all with people unloading in a front parking lot. But eventually, as this facility grows, that's not going to work for you anymore. So thinking about that sort of circular path where, where the trailers can park. And when laying out a site, it's best to have basically a what could go wrong philosophy with it. That is great. So examples would be, are all of your clients great at 
maneuvering their trailers. No, <laughs> they're absolutely not. So having to back a trailer means a recipe for disaster. So thinking about ways that trailers can move around in the space with a vehicular pattern that's circular, as opposed to having to back is, is key. Um, other ideas, what could go wrong? What happens if you unload a horse and you realize the horse has an infectious disease or might have one based on your observations immediately. If you don't have an isolation facility, it doesn't have to be anything, right? It can be a it can be a um a small structure, you know, just a place to put the horse. But if you don't have any place to put them, you now have a problem. So thinking of, you know, what can go wrong is a great, great example of how the mindset to take with master planning. We also look at things like, um, you know, what is the, what is the ground? What has happens when it rains a lot? What happens to the water on the ground? So that's a huge thing is, you know, having a muddy path or drainage problems. So thinking ahead on some of the drainage patterns of your site and making sure it can flow off of the area where you're working. I mean, anybody who's ever planned an arena knows this. <laughs> You, if you haven't thought about drainage with your arena, you're in deep. You're in a deep, sad place. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you're in deep. <laughs> you really are. Um, okay, but the same thing's true for the whole site. Yeah. Well, speaking of getting in deep, I know everybody's thinking, "Oh my goodness, you guys!" You know, in your first podcast, you're talking about you know opportunities, but the possibility of a recession and. You know, can you get building materials? Can you get labor? And, you know, we we talked about all that. So should we continue to think about building and renovating? Because all these practices are so busy right now. And everybody's a little worried about the, the big R recession word and, you know, getting materials and finding somebody to do the work. What What are you seeing in the market for that? Great questions. So if you were building speculative office buildings, I would say that today is not a great time to go full bore ahead on that. But that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about a market that has labor shortages. And that is incredibly competitive in terms of maintaining their practices and having them remain relevant and attracting those associates. And we're also talking about practices that have, in many locations, still many more clients than they can serve. So they have they have potential. If that's you, then there's no reason not to build right now. If you are in an area of the country that's urbanizing and the equine market is shrinking and you have a steady practice and no ability to hire another veterinarian, then you shouldn't build right now because it would be foolish. So I think looking at your particular market is super important. And um, that is that is essential. So if you cannot serve your market, there's no reason not to build, even with the R word hanging over our heads. <laughs> that being said, when we go into a more uncertain market, let me give you like two or three tips. I think one of the first tips is 
finding out how much you can borrow. And I recommend working with someone who understands veterinary practice as opposed to um, working with just any lender or any financial institution. So start with one who's understanding of veterinary lending. Uh, you might even, if you don't want to go to a lender to find out how much you can borrow, <laughs> you can also go to a financial planner and get some advice from them. Um, in the old days, we used to say veterinary hospitals could borrow what they gross in a particular year minus their debts. So that was the rule of thumb. Most financial planners will be more conservative than that, and they will say somewhere in the 75 to 80 percent of what you gross minus your debts. Um, but get that advice. So understand how much you can borrow, what's smart for you. Make sure you're in a growing market, those two things. And if those two things are, are in a good spot, there's no reason for you not to build. Okay, that's those are some some great tips for us here. And just kind of one more little topic. How do you decide maybe financially, maybe in your practice, whether you build or you renovate, whether you've got an existing structure you want to renovate or you're saying, okay, instead of building, I'm going to go find a place that's got X, Y, Z. So what what how do you differentiate in those? Such a great question. So let's assume that you probably have a good sense for this already, to be honest. Um, I'm going to use an example of a practice without saying who they are for their privacy, okay. but uh, working with a practice that um, they simply can't get any more out of their land. They, they just can't. There's no place for them to expand. The facilities are long in the tooth. So they're really, you know, they, they would be really hard to renovate. They're land constrained. They have um, urban areas growing all around them. So it's becoming really difficult. It's becoming a little unsafe for people to be able to pull in their parking lot with trailers because there's so much traffic flow. And yet they're in a market that's growing and still and where they can expand to serve uh, new clients. So. What would be your gut feeling about that? They should probably move. Yeah. And so you probably already have a gut feeling. You know, if, if you've got a dilapidated building that's 100 years old and you want it renovated, it's going to be a money pit. <laughs> if you have a hospital that was built in 2004 and is in perfectly fine shape and you've got the land, you should renovate. Okay. So I think it's a, it's a per, per uh, practice evaluation and an architect will be really helpful for you to have in this investigation as well as a civil engineer. And what does a civil engineer do and why would you want them? Yeah. <laughs> a civil engineer will help you understand if your practice is zoned properly, and what is the process for adding additions if you have a regulatory process that's going to be applied to that piece of land? So, for example, um, you can't always assume that you're zoned properly. If you've been there for a long time, you might be grandfathered in, but then you have to, you know, change your zoning or you might not be allowed to 
build additions. So getting some help from land planners, essentially, can be really helpful in understanding what kind of hoops you have to jump through, because those can be decision makers about whether you build new or renovate as well. So if you're going to go into the seven circles of hell to try to get a new (laughs) building built on your land, that should be information you would know so you can make a better decision about whether you want to do that or not. So those are kind of some of the parameters. I think the other thing is um, the impact of building codes. So some states, um, example, Washington, Oregon, California, have pretty strong building codes. And they are state codes that are more specific to those states as opposed to, you know, uh, international building codes. And they may dictate what a practice can do or not do or what kind of money they have to spend. So, for example, you might be required to add a fire sprinkler when you didn't have to have one before. That can be a huge expense. So, again, getting a little investigation from your civil engineer on the land planning side and your architect on the architecture side and building code side is really essential to help you have all the information you need to make a informed decision about whether you invest in that space. Those are are very good points. Well, we're getting close to the end of the time, but I wanted to just open it up and say, is there anything else that if you're talking to an equine veterinarian and they're saying, gosh, I'm so busy, you know, I'm, I'm really on the fence about should I build something, should I renovate, should I add a structure at all, you know, if I'm an ambulatory vet. I mean, what what are some of your thoughts on this? So I want to help summarize this gigantic topic <laughs> <laughs> with, with some rules of thumb. If you're busy and you're growing and there's not a really likely chance that that's going to change, then yes, you should build. You should absolutely build. You are in a almost recession-resistant market in that case. Um, If you're in an area where it's a shrinking number of people who have horses, then you probably should be careful about building. So again, go back to that market analysis and look at what you can provide. Understand how to um, to do something more conservatively than you might have done a few years ago because of the economic realities. So master plan, but then just bite off what you can really chew and do right now. You'll be so happy you did because adding that additional service or that additional piece of technology or equipment will help you propel forward and a veterinary hospital is the tool, is your most important tool for retaining your your clients and for retaining your staff and for building your future and for making money. So don't be afraid of building. Um, I also think kind of in, in summary, there's a lot of benefits to building when the market is kind of odd. And uh, one of them would be more competitive pricing. We're starting to get a lot of emails from contractors um, looking for work. Um, That's a little scary, but at the same time, it means you're going to get a much more competitive price than you would have had a couple years ago. So have no fear, but just be cautious moving forward. Develop a really good plan 
and find out how your facility is going to help you take that next step in your business. Remember, it's never going to be less expensive in five years. (laughs) So you might as well tackle it now. That is so true. Well, thank you again, Heather. We, we really enjoyed having you here today on the Business of Practice podcast. It's my and, pleasure. And yeah, and thanks so much. And we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us. And a big thank to our sponsor, Care Credit, who lets us sit down and have these conversations. And we invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear all the episodes of Business of Practice and make sure and go back and listen to the, the first one we did with Heather Um, And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter kbrown, at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 